Let me join with Brother Tim and send out a hearty greeting to everyone. It's a beautiful morning. It is right and proper for us to be assembling together and worship. At this part of our worship, it's time to study. If you didn't get a, a, a worksheet this morning for our lesson, Will, where, where did those end up? If you'll hold up your hand, Will will get you a worksheet. Right over here, Will. Roger read for us, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Our focus will be actually verses 8 through 10. The focus in this passage is upon worship. God would have men lead in worship, verse 8, lifting up holy hands. And then he directs his attention to women, that they would adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls, or costly array, costly raiment, but that which becometh a woman professing godliness uh, with good works. This is really an extending thought from last week as we focused on, on dads, on fathers, and we focused on the ideal that fathers must teach respect. And this is part of that idea. We mentioned last week fathers teach respect by modeling respect to God, by consistency in what they teach, who they are, through effective discipline and so forth. This is part of that package. How do I teach respect in the home? And fathers, it's up to us. It's up to us. And when it comes to respectable clothing... That falls in our laps as well. It is our job to teach modesty. Appreciate the prayer Brother Tim was leading us in. He mentioned in his prayer the culture that is about us. We wish it wasn't there, but we're not surprised because the Bible often warns us that we must not be conformed to this world, Romans 12 and verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And part of the culture is how people dress. We don't have any problem understanding what immodest dress is. We don't have any trouble understanding what it means when we say clothes that are not respectable I think we all understand that. Clothes that are too tight. Clothes that are too much. What Paul's addressing here in 1 Timothy 2. You know, costly arraignment. A lot of braiding of the hair. Pearls and gold. Clothes and attire that's too much can be immodest. And of course, clothes that are not enough can be immodest. Proverbs 7.10 mentions the, the clothes of a harlot. And that's all we've got to hear to know exactly what that means. Clothes of a harlot. Not enough. Enticing uh, clothes. And so, as Christians, we 
we're careful about how we approach and how we appear in public as part of our influence. It's not just about what we put on our bodies or even just what we uh, instill in our homes, but also what we look at and what we might encourage others to look at. There is this thing called posting on Facebook, which I'm, I wouldn't even know how to get started doing that, but I know about it. And I also know that sometimes things are posted on Facebook that should not be there. And part of what should not be there is immodest dress, no matter if it's you or somebody else or whatever. That should never, ever be encouraged uh, from someone who is uh, serving the Lord and following Him. And so let's work through this worksheet. And the first thing will be, uh, how do we get started? And the second thing will be, what kind of guidance does God give us as far as respectable clothing goes? And then the third thing is, why is this so critical? So please work with me on this. First of all, every subject that we talk about should begin with the thought of honoring God. Every thought that we have, every, every time we approach a subject in the Bible, the first thing ought to be, how can I honor God? What, what would God have me to do? What is God's will on this matter? How can I bring glory uh, to Him? Notice this in 1 Peter 4, verse 11. If any man speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. If any man ministers, let him do it according to the strength that God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's that blank there in, in the A part. That God may be glorified through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the glory and dominion forever and ever. So this kind of sets the stage for us. This gets our mind ready uh, to study any topic. You might recall um, an occasion back in 2 Samuel 23... That's, that there is a discussion of David's mighty men. And, and at one point, if you look down to 2 Samuel 23, 13 to 17, David is held up in a cave called Adullam because the Philistines were pressing in hard. In fact, they had a garrison across Bethlehem. Now, that's David's place, really, Bethlehem. But they had gotten so close and were charging in so close that David could not get to Bethlehem. And, and out of his... Uh, Exasperation, David speaks up and says, Oh, that I could drink of the, the water from the wells of Bethlehem. And three of his mighty men, upon hearing David's wish, they run and they break through the garrison of the Philistines and they go get David some water from the wells of Bethlehem and bring it back to him. Because the known wish of their commander became their driving force. David even comments on it. He says, these men went in jeopardy of their lives. Now, I just mentioned that for us to put ourselves in the position of God being our commander. The known wish, the known desire of our commander ought to be our driving force in life. It always begins with how should I honor God? What is it that God has in mind for me? And this is especially important when it comes to the body. Notice Paul's statement in Philippians 1 and verse 20. He says, With all boldness, Christ will always be magnified in my body. 
Notice that with all boldness. Paul is not ashamed to serve the Lord. He's not ashamed to do what the Lord would have him to do. He says, with all boldness, Christ will always be magnified in my body. Whether by my life or by my death, either way. As long as I'm here, Christ is going to be magnified. It reminds us of Paul's statement in Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So when people look at us as we've seen and and as we have said and as we pray uh, often, uh, they ought to be able to see Christ in us. And that begins oftentimes with what we are wearing. In regard to the body, remember that we are priests. We are priests. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. We are living stones. We are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. We are priests before God. Each one of us, we are priests before God. We offer up spiritual sacrifices. And one of those sacrifices is our our bodies. Notice this from Romans 12 and verse 1 right here on your sheet. Romans 12 verse 1. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. That's, That's the... Those are the words there for that blank. That that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable. Holy and acceptable. Remember, as Roger was reading to us from 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul first addresses the men. He says, you must lift up holy hands. That is, your life must be holy in all that you do. And then he says, women also must adorn themselves. And so our clothing must uh, have the characteristic of being holy before God. So think about that. Priests making their sacrifices and we are priests. And part of our sacrifice is that we allow the high priest, the Lord Jesus, to direct us in how we are to dress. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul asks this question, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. How thankful we are. We know what that price is. The precious blood of our Lord. His torturous death in our behalf. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God. There it is again. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are not our own. Our body is not ours to do with it what we want to do with it. It is not to follow our passions and desires, but rather we are to follow the Lord's will when it comes to how we present ourselves with our our bodies. We are not our own. With our bodies, we must glorify God. And Paul makes that emphasis here uh, for us. We have been bought with a price. Nothing we have, whether it's our bodies, our lives, or our possessions, whatever it is, nothing really belongs to us. But rather, it is from God, and we take what we have, including our bodies, including our possessions, including our, our time, our energy, our lives, and we... Bring this back to God. We present this back to God in order to honor and glorify Him. So this kind of sets the stage. It clears the table. It clears our mind to remind us 
that when we study a topic, it's, it's about honoring God. What would the Lord have me uh, to do? This is not about any kind of tradition. This is not about anybody's opinion. This is not about what I might want or what I might have experienced in my prior times. This is about what the Lord uh, desires. The second part of our lesson asks this question, what guidance is given in Scripture to help us with respectable clothing? What guidance is given in Scripture to help us with respectable, modest uh, clothing? We begin with Genesis chapter 3. You remember in verse 7 that after Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were open, both of their eyes were open, and they saw that they were naked, and then they sewed fig leaves together uh, to cover uh, themselves. And then in verse 21 we read that God made them coats of skin to cover them. The fig leaves would be similar to a loincloth or a girdle or uh, some pairs of shorts that you see around. The coats of skin, according to the Hebrew language there, uh, resembles more like a long shirt-like garment that would cover from uh, the shoulders down to the thighs and knees. And so obviously here you have a difference of opinion. Man is trying to fix a problem. He sees his nakedness. And as often is the case, when man sets out to do something and doesn't inquire of God, he gets it, he gets it wrong. And so there is definitely a, a different expectation when it comes to looking at how God handles this matter and how Adam and Eve were handling uh, this matter. There's different expectations. And God had to intervene and step in and correct the situation. And so this is an occasion in Scripture that can certainly guide us. We need to remember that, that oftentimes if we follow the world, they just simply will not be in line with what uh, God uh, has set out. Adam and Eve were mistaken in this and God had to step in and help them in the, in the situation. Alright, also, if you will, notice from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 26 as God is talking about His people bringing worship to Him and erecting stone altars. One thing He says there in Exodus 20, He says, I don't want you to, to uh, cut up the stones, I just want you to stack the stones. But then he says, I don't want you to build steps to the stone. Notice this, Exodus uh, 20 and verse 26. They were not to go up by steps to God's altar, that their nakedness be not uncovered. Exodus 20 verse 26. They were not to go up by steps to God's altar, that their nakedness be not uncovered. And then in Exodus 28, there's a, there's a similar admonition. This is more directed to the priest of God and how they would often be doing their work in the sight of the people, their sacrifices and so forth, in the sight of the people. And so to cover the priest, God required coats. And you can read this for yourself in Exodus 28, 40 to 43. But God required coats girdles, and linen breeches, linen breeches for them. And so both he wanted them covered with coats, but also underneath their coats covered with linen 
breeches that again would re reach down uh, to the thigh area. And then of course there's quite a bit of guidance here from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10 that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. I'm reading from the older versions here. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shame-facedness. That's not a bad word. Shame. You know the word shame. You know the word face. Add a D to it. Shame-facedness. N-E-S-S. Shame-facedness. Okay, we're going to explain this. And then sobriety. Sobriety. Or self-control. Which becomes... Women professing godliness with good works. This passage tells us quite a bit, but it, it's so inspiring. So let's think about it together for a, a moment or two. Get, be ready to take some additional notes right here. What Paul's talking about, he's talking about clothes which convey spiritual virtues. Clothes which display spiritual virtues. Notice he says... Dress as women professing godliness with good works. Godliness there simply means God reverence. God, God dash reverence. Okay. And so when we are about to go out in public, when we're about to get dressed, then we think about that. How can I bring reverence to God? What is, how can I most appear godly as I'm uh, about to uh, go out and, and do my thing? Women professing godliness with good works. With good works. In other words, the, your, the type of clothes you're putting on is something that, that would, it would be apparent that you are about good things. That you are directing your life toward the things of God. You want to reverence Him and then do His will and do His work. That doesn't always mean a, a dress and a tie, but it certainly means that you're going to dress in such a way that you wouldn't uh, distract or you wouldn't take away from what you're trying to do uh, for God. Also, Paul here is mentioning clothes which convey a hatred of sin. Okay. And I'm just quickly giving you, but, but this word shamefacedness or shamefastness here is, is a huge word. It has a lot of meaning to it. One part of the meaning here is that you abhor... Okay. Uh, it is a distaste to you, if you're following God, uh, to be associated with anything that might be outside of God's will. Anything that might be unclean in God's sight. Okay. And so when we go to get dressed, it needs to convey that hatred of evil, hatred of, of sin. Proverbs 8.13, for instance, says, To uh, fear the Lord is to hate evil. Or uh, look over to Romans 12 and verse 9. We are to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. And that, that directs our clothing as well. We abhor that which is evil and we cleave to that which is good. In other words, we just, uh, as we are growing in Christ, we are growing more and more to appreciate everything that the Lord stands for and everything that He has said to us. And then as we're growing in Christ, we're also learning to have a tremendous distaste uh, for what the world offers. Okay. And you can kind of give a, a self-measurement 
self-evaluation to yourself of just how is that going in your life right now? Do I really love the things of the Lord and really hate the things of the devil? Or is that all kind of being mixed together right now? And so it's, it, this word really helps us look at ourselves. And then also, think about this in 1 Timothy 2. Paul is speaking of clothes that convey a complete humility. Clothes that, that, that convey a complete humility. And this is, again, found in this word shame, shamefastness here, shamefacedness. In other words, one who is shamefaced will shrink back from, from that which is wrong. But they'll see the boundaries out there, the boundaries of what is modest or immodest, or they'll see the boundaries of what is right or what is wrong, and they'll, they'll shrink back from that. In other words, they won't go out to the boundaries and see how close they can get and still be okay with God. You see, this is a far cry from somebody saying, okay, I hear what you say, but I'm going to do what I want to anyway. Far cry. 1 Timothy 2 does not encourage that sort of attitude whatsoever. But this is also a far cry from seeing how close to the edge of sin we can get without going over in other words, this is a far cry from, and this often happens, even, even among us, it often happens. People try to, to try to walk a fine line. They try to walk a fine line between what is right and what is wrong. What is modest and what is immodest. I want to I be as close to the world as I can without being condemned by the Lord. That is, that is not the attitude that that Paul is, is encouraging here. He's, come, he's encouraging the very opposite of that idea. He's saying a, a shame-faced person will keep shrinking back. They'll see the border out there. They'll see the boundary of sin. And they'll, they'll go way over here to make sure they don't ever get to that sin. And so this is what Paul is conveying here. And also another thing Paul's conveying here in, in uh, 1 Timothy 2 is the sense of self-control. It's what the idea of sobriety is. Self-control. We all have passions and desires, and part of those passions and, des- and desires is to be noticed and to be wanted. To be noticed and to be wanted. We have to put a rein on that. Okay. And we must reserve those passions and desires for the marriage relationship and for that relationship alone. That takes self-control. You know self-control is often encouraged in the Bible. We don't have to look at those verses at all. But Paul is asking us to, to clothe ourselves in such a way that it is apparent that we know that our passions and desires belong in the marital relationship and not anywhere else. That must be clearly obvious from the way we dress. Self-control. We have a neighborhood dog named Harper. Sweetest dog in the world. Big, though. Big dog. Compared to our little Dotson, which is barely a dog. Sometimes we look at her and say, that's a rat. Compared to little Reese, little Dotson that's, that's in our house, Harper is huge. Harper comes up, and we often give Harper a snack when she comes by. And so it's amazing that you can take a cracker 
and put it right up to Harper's mouth, and she will gently take that cracker right out of your mouth, I mean right out of your hand, and put it in her mouth, without crunching your bones. Now she has, physically, she has the ability to take off your hand. She's just that big. But she has this restraint to be able to just to take that cracker right out of your fingers without even, without even leaving a slobber on your hand. It's amazing. Well, that's the idea of self-control. We are reserving some things just for that marital relationship. And we must be teaching this, fathers, dads, moms. We start teaching this. We don't wait until they're 13. We don't wait till they're 15. We start teaching this when they're way little. And they just grow up with that idea. And then Paul is saying that our clothes must convey a, a respect for other people, respect and love for other people, here in 1 Timothy 2. Okay. He's talking about worship. He's saying, you ought not so dress at worship that people are drawn to how you look instead of being drawn to focusing on the Lord. And that doesn't just apply to worship, but anywhere that we go, we want people to see Christ living in us and not to be distracted toward thinking about anything else uh, but that. And so this is just, these, just a sample of the guidance that's given us from Scripture. Let's move to our third question now. And that is, why is this important? It's important because of the marital uh, relationship. First and foremost, 1 Corinthians 6, verse, 11, verse 13 on your back of your sheet. The body is not for fornication. Fornication refers to any sexual activity outside of marriage. It's not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. In other words, we use our body for God's intended purposes, and a big part of that is the marital uh, relationship. The, the intimate relations between a man and woman in a scriptural marriage belongs there and there only. Part of that intimate relationship is disrobing. Okay. Part of the intimate relationship between a man and woman is disrobing. The disrobing does not take place until the marriage relationship. Otherwise, and in all other conditions, God wants us uh, to be covered. Notice what it says here in Hebrews uh, 13.4, Let marriage be had in honor among all, and let the bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That's Hebrews 13.4. Did you get that? And... The C part here, women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel. The reason we bring up modest here is because it refers to something being kept in line, kept in check, uh, kept in reserve. And if, if Paul is going to use that kind of word, to be kept in check, kept in line, kept in, you just simply ask the question, what is it that's through our clothes that is kept in, in check? Of course, it's these, those precious gifts, those intimate gifts that a husband and wife share with each other that's not to be um, shared with anybody else. Okay. That is to be kept in check. A part of keeping that in check is not just the act itself, but everything else that goes along with it, including the disrobing. Okay. That's, that's why we say, why is this important? Because when you are clothing in a modest way, you are showing respect to the marriage and the home that God has set up. 
Think of it as a gift. We wrap our gifts. You might buy something for your, your child and you, you wrap that gift up and you, you preserve it until it's time to unwrap that gift because when they unwrap that gift, you want that gift to be new, you want it to be authentic, you want them to take it out of the package and, and see that it's just for them and it, it's time now they can use it. Okay. Suppose you, you were buying a, a new phone for somebody, but maybe you're going to buy a phone for your child and uh, come Christmas Day, instead of having it wrapped up, uh, the child finds out that everybody in the household has been using that phone. Okay. Been passing around, been taking it fishing, been taking it uh, here and there, been taking it shopping, and they say, well, here's your phone we bought, but we've all been using it now for three or four months, but here it is. All right. The marital relationship is like that gift. It is to be wrapped up until... Husband and wife says, I do. And everybody in the world is supposed to be walking around modestly in respect of that gift that is just for the eyes of husband and wife only. That's why it's important. And then, final reason why it's important is not only the marriage relationship, but the personal well-being. And just quickly, we'll run through these uh, blanks here. But if you look at the a, B, C, D, and E here on, on the last part of our worksheet. Uh, children reared in a healthy, with a healthy sense of modesty are confident and respectful. There's no doubt about that. They're confident and respectful. One thing our culture uh, says is you need to get comfortable with your body. If you'll get comfortable with your body, take pride in your body, then you will, before long... Uh, be comfortable with your body being shown uh, in, in public. Okay. That's what our culture says. In other words, culture says, uh, we want you to get to, the, to a point where you are no longer ashamed of your body. Okay. But notice this statement from Jeremiah 6 and verse 15. They were not when they... Well, the question here in Jeremiah 6 and 15 is, when you committed all these abominations, were you ashamed? And then here's the response to that, Jeremiah 6 15. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Neither could they blush. When mankind sinned, God put in us a blushing and a shamefulness. Modesty and shame together creates a wonderful sense of well-being. But when we lose that ability to blush, then that is degrading to uh, individuals. Culture also says that in clothing ourselves, we need to uh, remember that uh, to reach out for our freedom. To reach out for our freedom. That this is a new day. That this is not your grandma's day. This is not your great-grandmother's day. This is your day. And so you can dress like you want to. You need to come out from the shackles of those kinds of traditions and just remember that, that this is the 2020 after all. I mean, this is, this is a new day. We got, we got new things so you can clothe yourselves whatever however you want to well it reminds me of what peter says in second peter 2 in verse 19 promise promising them liberty while they themselves are bond servants of corruption promising them freedom 
while they themselves are actually slaves of corruption. It's not freedom to go out and do that which is wrong. It's only that you are choosing to enslave yourself to lifestyles that actually degrade you. God made us in His image, and when we choose worldly lifestyles and worldly clothing, it actually is degrading to us. And it creates within us an, a, a weird sense of well-being. It's, it's not good with our, with our soul, with our, our heart, because it's not the way God made us uh, to act. And then the culture also says, though, that you need to reach out for your independence. Notice this from Jeremiah uh, 10 and verse 23. The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We must be dependent upon someone. I choose, what about you? I choose to be dependent upon the great God, the creator of this universe, the eternal one, the one who has all knowledge, the one who has all control. We must be dependent upon someone. The world will say to us, culture says to us, you need to strive for your independence. Okay. Well, what they don't realize is they're not really being independent. They're being dependent upon pictures and lifestyles and magazines. In other words, they're choosing their clothes from other people. They're not being independent. They're depending on what everybody else says you ought to wear. Why not just come free, truly free, and follow what the Lord says? And that always works out for the, that, to be the best thing for our heart and our soul. Queen Vashti, you remember this from Esther chapter 1. The, the king, Ahasuerus, and some of his buddies, they were having a party, and they thought a good idea, good idea. You know, the king had several advisors. You can count them there in chapter 1. There's 7, 8, 9, 10 advisors there. Everybody thought this was good. I'll bring out the queen so we can, we can look at her beauty. But she refused. She refused. If you look down to verse 17, the men come to Ahasuerus and say, something's got to be done about the queen. Not only has she disrespected you, but she disrespected all the men of the kingdom. Because all the women are going to start refusing what? Refusing what? Well, you see, when we go the way of the world, we end up being treated like property. That's how these men were treating their women. Like property. Bring them in. Let's look at them. Okay. And Vashti was not going to uh, have anything to do with that. And that's what the men were complaining about. They are saying... We're accustomed to telling our women what they should do and what they should not do. And Vashti would not have anything to do with it. May we have her courage to stand against the culture of this world. And that will bring personal well-being to us. It will bring a goodness to our soul because we know that we're following His will. So lots of thoughts can be gathered about modest, respectable clothing. And I hope this helps. And as we are bringing this lesson to a conclusion, it might be that maybe you look at your own life and you say, maybe I haven't been honoring God with everything that I do. 
in all the different aspects of my life. That's the first and foremost part of serving God is I have made the decision that in everything I do, I'm going to honor Him and bring glory to His name. The only way to do that is to look at His will and carry it out in our lives. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, we stand here, we'd be glad to study with you, pray with you. You know, Jesus taught us that everybody does fail. And we, we do fail in, in modest clothing sometimes. Uh, but He holds out forgiveness for us uh, through the blood of His Son. If, you, if we can help you in gospel obedience or anything that may have gone astray in your lives, please let us know right now as we stand together and as we sing.